Hey everyone, this is Grand Slam Tennis News Today, and you're listening to Missing the Point with Miles David. Welcome back to another episode of the show. This is Missing the Point with Miles David, and I'm your host. Thank you for tuning back in. If this is your first time listening, welcome on aboard to this podcast and this show. I will not tarry too long on today's intro because we have a lot to cover. Indian Wells has started. By the time you're listening to this, you're probably wondering where I've been or where we've been with the tournament preview. However, It's not just my fault. It's not like I haven't been working hard to get this out to you. It's just that Indian Wells decided to release their draws on Monday and Tuesday, and then play started on Wednesday. (laughs) And here we are on Thursday with me actually releasing my thoughts on the tournament in a preview scenario. So, you know, I hope you can enjoy the episode as if you don't know the tournament is happening right now because I'm looking on my television and they're playing the tournament that I'm previewing in this moment. So it's a little funny, but it's tennis. We roll with it. I hope you can still enjoy the content. I know I did listening back to it. I was joined by a great friend and new friend to the show, Christian from Grand Slam Tennis News Today. Christian runs Grand Slam Tennis News Today on YouTube. He has over 3 million views and over 8,000 subscribers. Grand Slam Tennis News Today is your number one source for in-depth tennis news as we inform die-hard tennis fans about the latest, latest events occurring in the tennis world. I had a great time talking to Christian. I cannot wait to get him back on the show. We had a great time talking about Indian Wells from the perspective of the women's singles draw and the men's singles draw. So without further ado, I'm going to let that conversation play. It's full of laughs, full of great insight, and I hope you guys enjoy it. I'll talk to you on the other side. Another one for the highlight reel. Okay, guys, finally, we are here. I have a new guest to the show. I have finally got my wits about me and figured out where to press the record button and not to press the mute button on this Zoom meeting. (laughs) So if I sound a little all over the place, go with it because we're going to be talking about a large tournament and topic that is mildly all over the place. I mean, it's in one place, but the way tennis has gone all year our views can be just as all over the place as tennis has. So it's okay. And when I say our views, I'm talking to, is it okay if I use your name? Yeah. Cause I don't know if, I don't know if people know that the name is behind grand slam tennis news today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Christian. Hi Christian from grand slam tennis news today, a very, very popular tennis YouTube medium that I am subscribed to. And you're, from my angle, way on the come up when it comes to tennis news and projections and media and everything revolving around tennis. You are definitely the guy with the sauce. (laughs) Thank you, Miles. (laughs) Um, It's great to be here. Definitely this collab is long overdue. We were thinking about collabing in Cincy, Fork Cincy, I believe, but it didn't work out. But thankfully, we were able to come together for Indian Wells. So I'm great. Glad to be here. I'm interested in your projections because like we were saying before we pressed record, 
I <laughs> am nowhere near prepared for this tournament or to say who I'm thinking is going to win. But hopefully that bodes well for the actual tournament, because usually I found when I have no idea and kind of no idea, I should say, and kind of just go into a tennis tournament like, oh, let's just hope for good tennis instead of making a pick and hoping that the pick sticks all the way throughout the tournament. I usually either one, enjoy the tournament like just from a fan perspective or two, the tennis is really good. So let's hope it falls somewhere in that happy medium or somewhere. That's the same for me. I feel like every time, like I'm so focused on the predictions and then I think about like the comments. If I, if I really screw up on my predictions, just thinking, Oh my gosh, I'm going to get so much flack for this. In your YouTube comments, my YouTube comments, they really let me have it. If like, if the predictions really fall through, they come back and comment days later, but um, if yeah, you ever need somebody to kind of just be a troll warrior on your behalf, I don't mind. Cause I didn't know that was happening. I didn't know. First of all, my, my first piece of advice would be to not read the comments. <laughs> well, like you skim them, skim mm-hmm. them because you do too much great work to let any of those like negative tennis trolls get you off of the positive thing you're doing. And I mean that like just avoid them. But if you ever need somebody to come and come on your behalf and get a little rowdy in the comments, I can do that. <laughs> I don't mind my, fi- my Twitter <laughs> fingers, although I try my best to keep them under wraps. Mm-hmm. My Twitter and YouTube comment fingers can be quite vicious, but I try my best to hide <laughs> them. I try my best. Okay, before I let my Twitter fingers do too much talking and become too vicious, let's get into the BNP Paribas Open for 2021, which is not in its ordinary time slot. I'm sure if you've listened to any podcast or any kind of YouTube channel about tennis, I'm sure you've heard that by now. It's usually in March. Because of the pandemic, it was not played in March of 2020, nor March of 2021. It was moved back to October. It gets started on October 4th. As we speak right now, they are finishing up qualifying for the women and for the men. So the draws that we're going to be looking at and predicting through are like 85% done. They just have to insert the qualifiers. And in general, this is a tournament that people just kind of gear up for every year. There's a lot of ranking points at or ranking points up for grabs and for earning for the players and prize money. And the general vibe around the tournament, if you've ever looked at my my podcast mm-hmm. album artwork, I'm right smack dab in the middle of the, um, the arena or like Indian Wells, the stadium. So I personally love the tournament because of nostalgia reasons and because of the fact that it was one of the first ones I've been to. So how do you feel about the tournament, Christian? Like in general, are you usually excited or are you more of a... Is there a different premier mandatory or 1,000 that you care about more? <laughs> um, honestly, <laughs> you can tell the truth. <laughs> I'm a big Williams Sisters fan, and like they're the reason why I'm even here. So, because of their boycott, like I didn't even pay attention to the tournament into Indian Wells until I became like a really like invested tennis fan. But I definitely agree with you. Like, there's a different vibe. And I believe that people call it like the fifth slam because it's so like, it's such a big tournament and people come from across the country and really around the world to, to watch this tournament. So definitely I I get the vibes of that, you know, upper echelon event. So I'm excited for it this year, definitely. And I've been excited for it in previous years. Besides the year that Vezzanino won, it's been really good tennis. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you said something when you were just answering that question about like 
the, being a Williams Sisters fan. I didn't mean to, to like scoot over this, but I'm interested just for my knowledge and the knowledge of the listeners. How have you gotten into tennis? Like how have, how has Grand Slam Tennis News today like been your brainchild to where it is now? Like give us some background onto your passions in tennis and also your brand. Um, well, I started getting involved in tennis with tennis mid 2011. And I remember I posted my first video actually in 2012. And it was like the, around the time of Stuttgart. And it was just me just rambling. It was so unprofessional. <laughs> and um, I, it was so, it was so ghetto. <laughs> it, was, it was really, it was really something. But I did that from around 2012 to about 2015. And that's when I stopped. And I play tennis on the side. So I like tried to dedicate more of my time to tennis from like 2015 to 2019. And um, I figured like I came back the beginning of 2019 because I was like, you know, I need to like be more productive and feel more well-rounded, you know? So I came back and ever since then I've been doing it and have really been enjoying it. But yeah, I really became a tennis fan almost, I guess, 10 years ago. So yeah. I feel old now. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're still in school as well, right? Yeah, I'm in college. So, wait, what are you studying, if you don't mind telling us? Um, I'm actually considering majoring in communications. Oh, my gosh. I'm, I'm genuinely glad that you said that. Because, one, if you guys ever go to Grand Slam Tennis News Today on YouTube, which you should if you're listening to this, you absolutely should. It'll be in the podcast description. You have the voice for it. Like, if, if there's anything that would need it to be sold or something that needs to be explained to people, I would definitely call you up and you would be definitely in my consideration for people to sell or explain something because you do it so well. And then on the other side of that, I have no idea how you edit all of the things that you edit and make it a seamless kind of um, carousel of pictures and videos for that, so that people can not only listen to your great voice, but also be entertained by like the moving objects. Yeah, I don't know how you do that. I, I keep telling people that I'm going to get into YouTube one day, but people like you make it look hard. <laughs> so no, I don't no. know. <laughs> no, you definitely did come over to the YouTube side. I love to have you, but um, yeah, it's it's just it's honestly a lot. Like I feel like. It shouldn't be that much, but then again, like I understand why it takes me so long to do my videos because it, like you said, it is a lot of editing that goes into it. Not only like preparing the information and stuff, but like the, making sure it's vis uh, visually appealing. But um, yeah, I feel like it's not, it's hard-ish, but it's not that hard. I feel like you definitely need to come to YouTube. Every time I click on a video, I do like an imaginary Birdman hand rub because I'm just excited about what you're going to say. And then mm -hmm. you're one of the you're one of the people, and I, I'm 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 giving you your flowers here, so it's okay. I promise you, we're going to get into Indian Wells. <laughs> <laughs> you're one of the people that I that I subscribe to on YouTube. That this is no shade to anybody else, but I don't like I don't roll my eyes after you're finished done after you're finished like giving your thoughts or predictions. I'm like, this is something that I would agree with. <laughs> and you know, it's a it's healthy to have people like in your in your um, circle that you agree with most times. And sometimes you can look at things and maybe not agree and have a differing opinion but gain a different perspective. Mm. I like that you're spot on and pretty educated about everything you put out there. So that's just from me to you. I, I appreciate that what you're doing is good for tennis and I want to keep seeing it grow for sure. 
Thank you, Miles. I feel the same way about you and your content. Yeah. It's uh, we try. <laughs> I'm much better at giving everybody else their flowers than receiving my own. Trust me. <laughs> okay, enough of the flower talk. Oh, I, oh my God, flowers is a great segue into tennis paradise because when I was there, every single player that they put up on like the um, billboards or the megatrons and stuff, they had like these exploding, exploding flowers. I wonder if they're gonna keep that. I think they will. It's cute. Adjacent, I guess. It's cute or whatever. (laughs) So let's talk about who is not going to be in the tennis paradise with all the flowers. Um, So there is quite a long list. I know we we both here are Williams Sisters fans. And from the likes of it, it doesn't look like Venus Williams is going to be participating, nor Serena Williams for sure is not going to be there. So Serena won't be there. Venus won't be there. The world number one, Ash Barty, will not be making the trip over to California. It sounds like, for all intents and purposes, her and her whole camp, i.e. just her and her coach, because that's who's pretty much been in her camp. Outside of her boyfriend and maybe a couple other people, she seems like she has a very tight knit. That tight knit seems to be pretty much just folding it up for the rest of the season because she has to go back to Australia, which she has not been, and she's been public about this. She's not been home since uh, before the Miami Open, which was in March-ish. So she's ready to kind of pack it up, and I can't blame her. Six titles or so this season. um, She's going to end end the year as the world number one again for the third consecutive year. Who could blame her for just wanting to pack it up? And she'll have Indian Wells right around the corner because if I'm sure, or if if luck goes the way that things have been going, they should be right back in their time slot for 2021. So it's not going to be like she's missing too much, you know? She can get back to experience it in March, as is everybody else that's not playing. Who else is not playing? Osaka, Naomi Osaka's not playing. She's pulled out. and That's not really a shocker because of her... Uh, post-match U.S. Open press conference. Were you shocked about her about her not playing in Indian Wells? Not at all. I was expecting it. I remember, um, like, around the time when Indian Wells was announcing who was playing, they said that she was going to play. And I was like, mm, I don't know about that. And, yeah, I know that she did do an interview with the shop, and I'm not sure if that was recorded. I'm pretty sure, I guess people have been saying it was recorded after the U.S. Open. But if it was recorded after the U.S. Open, she was saying that she does have an itch to come back um, and she'll try to be back soon. So maybe she'll be uh, maybe maybe she'll be back for the WTA finals. I don't know. But I wasn't shocked at all that she's missing Indian Wells. I feel bad for my sis a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> like it feels that. like she can't. That's a whole other podcast topic, but I do feel bad for her in the sense that it feels like whatever she does, somebody's going to have something snarky to say because of like the last six to eight months of what she's been going through in the public eye. She can't really catch a break, even if she's trying to literally take a break. She can't catch one. So right. I'm, I just hope that the next time we see her play tennis, she looks a lot lighter and happier to be there than the last couple of times we've seen her. Um, speaking of happier and lighter. It seems like although she's been tested positive for COVID, Sabalenka, according to her Instagram stories, feels very happy and light in her quarantine. (laughs) (laughs) I was just watching a snippet. I guess she was doing like a, you know, um, fan Q&A, but she tested positive for COVID a couple days ago and and Indian Wells was like, nope. No, ma'am, you're not playing, and that's about it. You can you can you can enjoy the amenities here from your hotel room, but mm-hmm. not about to be playing. And it's interesting, not that 
I feel two ways. It's not that interesting that a tennis player has caught COVID and can't play a tennis tournament because unfortunately we've seen that happen a couple different times throughout the year. But it's interesting that it's her because she voiced towards the middle to beginning of this year, like when vaccines were starting to roll out, that she wasn't sure that she'd take one. However, she did say that she might take one after this season is completely over with. So maybe she's one of those people that needs a little bit more convincing. <laughs> I don't know why, but maybe. Yeah. I know Sissy Paz, he was outspoken against the vaccine and I think he changed his mind. So I definitely think that even with the Australian Open, they're looking at making vaccines mandatory for players. So I think that her and other players, other skeptics will eventually get the vaccine. But it is unfortunate that she won't be able to play. But do you think the number one skeptic will uh, get a vaccine? Do you know what I mean by number one skeptic? I know. (laughs) My favorite player? Yes, he's your favorite. Hmm. <laughs> I think I think he'll get it if they make it mandatory. I know looking back on um, his quotes when he was talking about opposing vaccinations, he said that, you know, likely we are going to have to get the vaccine. And if I will get it, I don't know. I think he will get it eventually, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what Novax Djokovic does. We'll see. <laughs> but he won't. He also will not be participating in this uh, Indian Wales 2021 tournament. He didn't wow. really go into reasons why, but I mean, I also give him, um, I cut him some slack because he's been to every Grand Slam final this season and he's had a pretty arduous um, season as a whole. So I, I give him some slack. And again, Indian Wells will be back before we know it. I probably feel like two weeks have gone by and we're back in Indian Wells talking about the March version of it <laughs> in its traditional time slot. Any other men? Um, yeah, there are a couple other men. Any other notable men that you know of that aren't playing? There are a couple, um, but I'll let you introduce them. <laughs> I can't think of any on the top of my head. I was only thinking about, I know <laughs> she's so forgettable, but I was thinking Kenan, she wasn't there. Not forgettable, <laughs> yikes. About poor Kenan. <laughs> but Kenan, yeah, she hasn't played since Wimbledon. I know she, she won't be in any wells for an unknown reason. I know that she said she had COVID, which is why she didn't play the U.S. Open. But yeah, she won't be there. Um, Dominic Team won't be there. He won that. the last event in 2019. Team Norner Dahl will, will be there in Fetter. Team and Don Fetter ended their season, so that's no surprise. And side note, Team, I believe he said that he won't need surgery for his wrist, so that's good news for him. And maybe we'll see him back for the Australian Open in 2022. But hmm. yeah, Fedal would not be there. The big three all won't be there. So. And I didn't appreciate Dominic Team. Um, really when he was playing consistently and now I'm just like, oh, I kind of miss that energy of somebody that's right. that's almost guaranteed to show up and give us a really good competitive match. I miss that energy, you know? Yeah, and he's the defending, or he would have been the defending champion because he won back in 2019, so those points like Frondreski are going to come off, so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I caught that. I hope everybody else did too. You think Andrescu's points, who is playing in this tournament, you think uh, Bianca Andrescu, 2019's champion, you think her point is her points from that uh, tournament are just going to come falling off? Um, Not all of them, but I definitely think that there's <laughs> potential where she can have an even bigger decline in the rankings because she didn't, I don't think she made it past, she reached the fourth round of the US Open, but she was the 2019 champion there. And those points, came off this year. She reached the fourth round of the U.S. Open? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. She, yeah lost she lost the soccer huh? Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, see, um, although I'm a fan of hers naturally, because, like, if she's playing tennis, I typically want to see what 
her matchups against other people are going to look like. Right. I do really think, though, yeah, it's interesting to watch and it's an interesting uh, personality to kind of just be a fan of, to me at least. A lot of people can say that she's a drama queen, especially if you ask Angelique Kerber. Uh-huh. But I, <laughs> I, I like Bianca Andreescu. I think she's good for the sport and possibly maybe in 2022 and forward, her basically coming back will be an extra sort of... Um, an extra sort of spice to an already spicy storyline of Bianca Andrescu in general. You know what I mean? Yeah, I feel like in 2019 when she did win the U.S. Open, like in that period, um, she was playing amazing tennis. And I feel like she's one of those few players that has like almost every different shot. And I feel like definitely this year has been sort of a letdown for her. She had a good showing in Miami, reaching the finals there. But then, of course, in the finals against Barty, who would have beaten her anyways. She got injured, but since then, she just, <laughs> since then, she just really, she's been struggling a lot on the tour. She had, I believe she had a chance to go deep in Roland Girls, but she lost to a eventual semifinalist, Zdenzik, and at one point, she underperformed, and at the U.S. Open, she didn't play too bad. She did have that tough match with Sakri, but yeah, we'll see what she does for Indian Wells. Okay, well... Do you want to start going into this draw for this year with the men or the women? I'll let you decide. Um, let's start with the women's. And we can just start from the top and work our way down. And like we did say, um, world number one and world number two, Ash Barty and Arena Sabalenka are not going to be playing. So that means the number one seed is Carolina Pliskova. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no no real shade to Pliskova. It's just that when was the last time she was number one seed of an event? I think maybe last year's U.S. Open. Last year's U.S. Open? Yeah, because all those players were missing. I know. Oh, yeah. yeah. And Kenny was the second seed there. Oh, wow. Lord, how the... Oof. I told y'all tennis was all over the place. So yeah. now th- this is literal <laughs> literal statistics to back it up. So Carolina Pliskova is a, the number one seed. Let's actually go through uh, really quickly the top eight seeds at the BNP Paribas Open. So number one seed is Carolina Pliskova. Number two is Iga Swiatek from Poland, the French Open 2020 champion, followed by number three, Barbora Krajcikova, the 2021 French Open champion, uh, followed by number four seed, no-time Grand Slam champion. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Alina Svitolina, and then recent Chicago Open tournament winner Garbina Muguruza is number six, followed by, followed by recent entry to the top ten for the first time, Greek player Maria Sakkari. And then ending out the top eight seeds is two-time Wimbledon champion, number seven, Petra Kvitova. And number eight, um, gold medalist this year, the 2020-2021 Tokyo Olympics? Yeah, they were in Tokyo. She's the number eight seed, Belinda Bencic. However, I just watched this clip on YouTube and it was kind of it was kind of one of those cringy injury clips. She retired from her match in uh Chicago last week against Elena Rabakina with a weird kind of a knee wobble. So she hasn't pulled out yet. Maybe she's just trying to wait to see how things go if she's on the grounds and practicing, but she is a number eight seed as we record this, but I wouldn't be surprised if something happens between then and now, or if she just tries it out in her first round match and sees, because from the looks of it, it looked pretty 
you know, it didn't it didn't look like just something you can kind of just walk off. It looked like it hurt her quite a bit, or at least she was shocked by it because she cried. And, you know, even though benches blocked me on Twitter, it's never good to see somebody go down with an injury. I will say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so looking at Pliskova's draw, um, she is projected to face probably Katie McNally. Um, and then possibly, I believe, Shuai Zheng or Sasai Zheng? I'm not sure because I'm looking at on Wiki. Um, it says S Zheng. Yeah, but- so Sasai Zheng, who actually won the tournament in not San Diego. This is 2019 I'm referring to, just so people know who I'm talking um, about. She won in San Jose. There we yeah, go. I knew it was a San. So right. she's using a protected ranking to get into this tournament, and she faces Catherine McNally um, of half of Mikoko who partners with Coco Golf in a doubles team, and they were USO runners-up. I actually think Pliskova has played McNally before, and it was a pretty tough-ish match. Right. I don't know if that was this season or if my brain is playing tricks on me. They played at this year's US Open actually in the first round, and I believe Pliskova took that one 6-3, 6-4. It was oh, yikes. Of, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it was kind of a competitive match. But I could have sworn that they had played before in a in a time, maybe a, maybe in the land before time. But either way, I would like to see McNally get through that first round match and meet Pliskova. Just because I think the way their game set up, it would be a test for Pliskova and possibly, I'm not calling it upset, but it could possibly be an upset because Pliskova is a very groove player and McNally's not going to, if her if she uses the right game plan in my mind, she's not going to allow her to kind of find her groove, you know? Right. Yeah, um, and then the closest seed to Pliskova um, is Nadia Podorowska, who's had a don't know where to put my I don't know how to describe her season. She's the yeah, former yeah. twenty twenty French Open semifinalist. Yeah, she hasn't really done much. All I can think of is when she beat Serena in the first or the open round <sighs> of Rome. You didn't have to remind me of that because I had forgotten. I really had truly <laughs> forgotten. In her thousandth match, but. Um, yeah, ever since then, I was looking for her to do something at that year's French Open or this year's French Open, but she's really been struggling a lot and hard courts aren't her best surface. So she's, she hasn't been doing as well. And I was honestly surprised to see her as a C29 C because she hasn't done much. Right. But those French Open points are, are falling off soon too. So. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Podoroska. I, I do I don't mind her game. There's also another player I'm looking at the draw um right above her. There's a first round match between Egyptian Mayar Sharif and um and Montenegrin Danka Kovinic. Mayar Sharif has been having a hell of a season. A lot of her points have she picked them up on like the clay on the the here right below WTA 250, but mm-hmm. wins are wins, especially if you are climbing up the rankings and she's at a career high. So, you know, that could be a potential second, well, that, that could be a potential um, second round player for Podorowska who gets a first round by. So, you know, go, go Mayar Sharif. She's definitely like taking things off for Egyptian tennis and representation of tennis in that part of the world that doesn't really get a lot of it. So I'm proud of her for having the season that she's had, you know, one of those, those, low-key success stories you kind of have to dig through the big storylines to find but once you find it it's pretty inspiring right i think she has a good opportunity to at least get to the third round because kovinich she's a good decent player but i think that's definitely a winnable match for sharif yeah go sharif (laughs) 
<laughs> then I think definitely Podoroska is, is beatable or winnable for her. So I think this is a good opportunity for her to, to make another solid showing. Who I, who I actually hope, well, who I actually hope has a really awesome showing is number 18 seed, who's in this section of the draw, Annette Contevit. She's one of my favorite. I don't really care that people say that she's the Achu girl or the the sneezing grunter i like her grunt everything about her i just have to i have to stand really quickly everything about annette contavit is really intriguing to me somebody i was describing this on um one of the twitter spaces that i hosted a couple days ago and i said she looks like a girl that i could just go get sushi with she does like she just looks really cool i don't know how else to describe it and she's also coming off the backs of winning her biggest title the 500 level tournament in ostrava so Mm -hmm. she's playing good tennis i love the way she strikes the ball she's kind of fearless and if if she has time to set up on her shots like indian wells courts can kind of provide you look out for her she could possibly face pliskova in the fourth round so hey I would not be mad. At, I would not be mad at that matchup, and to see a Contevit go further because Contevit has been to a quarterfinal at a Masters 1000 in Miami 2019. Yeah, actually, Contevit is one of my picks to go deep this tournament. Um, I think her draw. She plays probably Boskova in the first round, and then in the third round. I mean, she would play Boskova in the second round, but in the third round, she would play likely Bianca Andreescu, the defending champion. So that would be a really a mouthwatering matchup. And I feel like a lot of that depends on whether BB can bring her game. I feel like maybe she'll rise to the occasion knowing that Annette is coming into this tournament with such great form. Um, but that would be a tough one to pick. I'm not sure, but I did go ahead. I picked Contevite to come through that one because I feel like having that confidence from winning Ostrava and then before the US Open she won Chicago. So I think that having those wins will take her Cleveland. Cleveland, I'm sorry. Cleveland. <laughs> I was like, did she win Chicago? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Cleveland. It was Cleveland at the US Open before the US Open. Um I think that'll help her. But yeah. Decent player when she's playing well. Allison Risk is who <laughs> Bianca Andrescu could play in the second round. Would not be surprised if Allison Risk plays the type of game that just bothers Andrescu because she's not, she's not, I, don't, I was going to say fit. I think she is getting fitter. I just don't think she's match fit and comfortable enough to go all the way and defend her title. But again, she's one of those players that could just could just turn it on like she turned it on and came to all of our forefronts of our of our minds at the 2019 version of this event. So I don't I don't know I don't know where to put my feelings with Andrescu. I love her as a player from the 2019 season and watching a lot of that and watching a lot of watching a lot of her matches. I just don't know where to put my feelings with her in this moment and moving forward. But who I am very excited to play or watch play is the number 12 seed round beneath Bianca Andrescu, Anj Jabor. Funny enough, I had no idea who Anj Jabor was until a moment at Indian Wells. There was Indian Wells 2015, and she was playing Wozniacki on like an outside court. And if you YouTube this, like Anj Jabor, Caroline Wozniacki 2015, they played one of those points of the match or points of the tournament, points of the week, points of the day, something like that. And it was Anj Jabor and it was the way that the commentator said her name. It was like, Anj Jabor. <laughs> I was like, ah, I, I, liked, I liked hearing her name and the shot that she hit was very creative. It was like a backhand on the run and she's been on my radar ever since then. And then 
the past 12 months have been absolutely amazing for Anjabor. Yes, she hasn't necessarily lifted the biggest trophies, but she's leading the WTA as in amount of wins. I think she's upwards or close to 45, maybe even more than that, wins this season. And if you have 45 or 40 plus wins in the season, you must be doing something right, obviously, because you're getting deep into almost every tournament that you're playing. And you're playing a lot and you're, you're, you're holding up to the charge, you know? So she has a first round bye and could potentially face the winner of Anastasia Sevastova and uh, Polona Herkaj. How do you think that might fare out for her, just given how she's playing? Um, I think definitely Jabur can go. She has the potential to, again, make another good run here. She played very well in Chicago last week where she reached the finals. And in that final against Muguruza, she was up a set and a break playing amazing tennis and kind of... <laughs> yeah, Gramiga really turned it up and just changed the entire momentum of the match after 3-2. But regardless, she still had an amazing week there. And I feel like this is a decent opportunity for her to do well here at Indian Wells. I'm not sure if the court conditions will suit her game because I feel like she's the type of player to enjoy more of like a, a faster type surface Has she because she's done well in the Australian Open and then Wimbledon this year. But I'm I'm not sure. She can definitely go deep. I would have had her going deeper, but looking down, she could play 22nd seed Daniel Collins, who I adore. I love Daniel Collins. Y'all can't see how I'm looking at him. Collins, but is adore the word you really want to use here? <laughs> Maybe adore is overkill. Admire. Ooh, I don't actually we should go with adore instead of admire. I don't know. There's there's something about Daniel Collins that rubs me the wrong way, but not like not viciously, mm-hmm. but to the point where if I, if there was a Daniel Collins match being played and there was maybe another person's match being played, I probably would go see the other person's match. <laughs> Just because I know the last couple of matches I've watched of Danielle Collins. She's very feisty. She's very in your face. She's very competitive, which are things I admire. But on the flip side of that, she can also complain quite a bit. And she can complain with a capital K, aka Karen. <laughs> it, just, it, it comes off very, and I, I don't know if she's aware of this, but it comes off very Karen at your local tennis club. Like everything has to go my way. There should be no other sounds on a tennis court besides me screaming. If the, if the crowd is screaming, I want them to shut up. And that, that can be a little off-putting for me personally. But on the flip side, like I said, the, her game, how aggressive she is and her, her, her obvious fight that she puts into matches is cool, but sometimes I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay, I understand. Okay, Daniel. <laughs> but in her defense, I do feel like she's starting to calm down a little bit, and she's starting to tame out. Although she did, she did act a bit of a fool in the San Jose final this year, but mm-hmm. we'll, give her, we'll give her some grace. She, she's getting better, but um, we'll, we'll give her a scoop of grace. You're right. We'll give her a yes. scoop. <laughs> I see Collins coming through that to possibly face Anjabur. I really do because Collins the, Collins made her mark on the WTA tour at Indian Wells. I want to say in 2018, right? Mm-hmm. She reached the fourth round or quarterfinals, one of those. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly, but um, it was yeah. the year before she beat Venus in Miami. Unfortunately, right? And I mean the, the Indian Wells. It was that year. Yeah. 
So I definitely remember one of her early matches on Indian Wells when she had one of her like big breakthroughs. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the last time she played Indian, I mean, I just feel like the Indian Wells tournament would suit her game because as I keep mentioning, like the courts play a little slower and I feel like that gets her, she likes the slower courts actually as it gives her more time to set up. So I feel like with that and having the crowd behind her back and I'm sure she'll get them involved in her matches, I think that that could bode well for her. And um, should she and Jabir play, I feel like it'd be tough. Um, I think that she can't handle the the trickiness and variety of Jabir's game as in their loan meeting um, at the 2020 French Open, she prevailed against Jabir. They did um, play at the French Open. Yeah, Remember that. I think it was the round of 16. It was a good match. It was a three-setter. Right, it was three sets. So I think that definitely that's it. She can beat Jabir, although... Honestly, going to be very tough. She's improved a lot, and she's riding um, a, a big wave of confidence. I would sign up to see it. Like if I was at Indy Wells, I would go see a Andre Jabeur versus Daniel Collins match. So maybe I take back what I said about. Yeah, that's a match of Collins you watch. <laughs> yes, it is. It is. Sarah Shreebest, another player, kind of in the same vein with Andre Jabeur, has not been lifting all the big trophies, but has been incrementally getting a lot of wins. And the next highest, the next highest seed she's projected projected to play is Maria Sakari, another player who's had one of the seasons of their career. She's the number six seed. There aren't too many names. There's Marquetta Von Drusova, who's had a decent Indian Wells run before and a former French Open finalist in between Sarah Three Best Tormo and Maria Sakari. But I w- would like to see what that matchup looks like, especially on like a sunny day, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I don't know. I feel like Sakari, she's had tough draws because I feel like her draw at the US Open was tough, but she came through that pretty well. Um, maybe she likes playing the tougher opponents, but I feel like potentially playing Von Joseva in the in her second round match would be tough because, as you mentioned before, Marquetta in 2019 she reached the quarterfinals. That was probably her like one her big first big breakout tournament as she beat Halep en route to the quarterfinal match. Um, so I'm pretty sure that she likes the Indian Wells conditions. I'm I'm not sure. I know Sakri she reached the finals of Australia. Bravo. So her game is good right now. She's in good form. But I do feel like this could be a tricky opening round match for, for her and playing this lefty Van Joseva. So I'm not sure with that one. But I feel like Cerebus Tormo actually has a, a easier path to reach in the third round than Sakri does. She has a wild card from the USA, Claire Liu, who I actually really enjoy. Like her, her Instagram is her Instagram is cute and I like her game. I don't know why. I, I just when I see USA players, especially USA players that are like people of color, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. It makes plenty of sense. Miles, what am I talking about? (laughs) (laughs) I just, I I, I tend to just like bookmark their names and make sure that I follow their results. And Claire Liu is no different. I I don't, I don't, that's an open section of the draw. Honestly, I'm just, I'm not sure who's going to come through that. I mean, the Jabor, Collins, Cerebus, Tormo, Sakari, it could be any of those four that go on to, you know, go deep at the tournament. And I wouldn't be surprised by any of them, honestly, just because, Women's tennis is just so deep. So let's go to another section. Or this is actually an, another quarter. This is Cry- Barbora Krajcikova's quarter. Never thought I would say those words. Um, <laughs> she's number three seed, and she potentially opens up. All the seeds, by the way, have opening round buys. Seeds one through thirty-two on the men's and women's side have opening round buys, and Krajcikova could possibly 
play a qualifier or a Japanese player, Nao Habino. But I'm looking a little bit further than that. And what I really want to see, if I had my way, is either an Amanda Nisimova versus Krychikova match in the third round or a Barbora Krychikova versus Katrina Scott third round. I think both of those would be interesting. Yeah, I feel like, honestly, all three, because Camila Georgie is there, the third C two. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, focusing on Anasimova and Katrina Scott, that's the first round match there. They actually played last year at the U.S. Open, and Scott was close to pulling off the upset there. And we kind of haven't heard too much about her since then. Um, but she definitely, she looked very impressive watching that match, um, against Anisimova. She has the game to really do some damage. So that could be a, a popcorn match there. Anisimova, she had that near, that heartbreaking loss to Pushkova at the US no. yeah. And I know that, I don't know, it's going to be interesting to see how she recovers from that. Cause that was a tough loss. Maybe she'll, she'll rise above it. We'll, we'll, I don't know. but She's in good spirits. She was just on Twitter because somebody, yeah. I think one of those Twitter accounts, I don't know if you saw this, the Twitter accounts were like, um, Amanda Nisimova, current ranking, 80-something. And she was like, yay, thanks. <laughs> thanks for reminding me, guys. Right, <laughs> so she seems to be in a, if you can make that joke about yourself, usually you're in a decent place. And like, I'm glad you brought up the fact that they played each other already. Amanda Nisimova and Katrina Scott completely forgot about that. That that full match is actually on YouTube. I'm pretty sure. I need to go back and rewatch that to kind of get a vibe of what their uh, rallies and stuff will be. But Katrina Scott is a young, up and coming black player. I'm I'm forgetting where like where she's from. Is she? Does she have like roots in Atlanta? I think she does. Hmm. Katrina Scott, regardless of where she's from, is a young player from the United States that people should be keeping an eye, an eye out on. And she's been doing just gradually well for her age range. She's a little bit younger than Coco Golf, but, you know, both of those names are names of the future for sure. Right. So moving down a little bit further, we have Paula Bedosa, another player who's been having a really good season, a bunch of wins, going deep in a lot of the events she's playing. Would not be surprised if she goes deep here unless she trips up a little bit against her uh, projected second round uh, opponent, Diana Yastrzemska, who's another young player who has a lot of potential, has just been going through some interesting things off court. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Yastrzemska, she's very talented. But the problem with her is that she's very consistent. I erratic think, a little bit. Erratic, that's a better word of describing her because I remember watching her her match against Kerber and the first round of the US Open, a match she really should have won. She was so, I think she served for the match and she was maybe up like 5-3 or whatever in the third set, but she just, her game totally fell apart and Kerber just, all she had to do was keep the ball on the court and Yastrzemska was missing everything. So... I think that Bedosa's steady or game style would get her through that because there are just like a lot of unknowns about Yastrzemska. So, yeah. Do you see the Maria Sharapova and Paula Bedosa comparisons? Because they're trying to make them. Do you see them? That's funny because when I was listening to your um your US Open, you mentioned that in that episode too. <laughs> I kind of see it. I remember one of the photos they did during Madrid where she was like on the ground or whatever. I, I kind of see it a little bit. In terms of game, no, but in terms of like the overall like 
aesthetic and look, I can kind of see it. And I think it's because Bedosa, I was just watching some tennis channel like segment they put together, like giving us a little bit more insight into who Paula Bedosa is. She's pretty open about Maria Sharapova being one of the influences on her career and somebody she kind of idolized. So maybe that's why they're pushing the narrative. But I can kind of see it too from like the streaks of blonde hair, the earrings, the the overall aesthetic, the Nike. I I can see it. But in, in game, maybe not so much. She doesn't she doesn't shriek as loud um <laughs> but you did mention you mentioned Yastrzemska playing Kerber Kerber is very close in this section of the draw he's number 10 seed um I'm not gonna skip past Coco Golf, but I would like to see a Coco Golf and Paula Bedosa third round would definitely have my popcorn ready and be like as close to the court as possible for that one just because I would want that to be I don't know if they played before on the WTA tour. It doesn't no no match of theirs is coming to my memory, but it would not be it would be a rivalry that I would like to see. And at this point in the women's game, I'm trying to create as many rivalries as I possibly can. <laughs> we need them. We need rivalries. And a Bedosa versus Golf one, Spanish, American, like young up and comers, like I can see their game styles um clashing very well for a good match. So I would not be mad at that at all. And right, right underneath Coco Golf, I don't know if you've taken a look at Kerber's section, but she is the 2019 finalist. There could potentially be another popcorn match. Why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> <laughs> because you know I'm about to get into this Kim yeah. Kleisters versus Katarina Sinyakova match that Kerber plays the winner of. And I... <sighs> Did I mention King Plaxers at all in my U.S. Open preview or any episodes yes, that you've listened to? Oh, Lord. <laughs> 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 I just, oh, my gosh. Kim Plaxers is great for the sport. I'm not completely upset that she's back, but it doesn't seem like there any kind of, there's not momentum for me to really take it seriously yet. In In, in almost the same vein, with Andy Murray. Andy Murray is a player that told us he didn't necessarily have the same. It's not the exact same, but they're similar because for all intents and purposes, Andy Murray told us in 2019 that he was going to retire and he's, he's had his surgeries and he's made his way back. And during his matches, you can kind of tell that he's taking it seriously. He's in shape. He's really given everybody that he's played good matches. Whereas Kim Kleister's, I can't say the same all the way. She did give Muguruza a good match in Dubai. And I think she played Johanna Kanta in Monterey back in 2020 when she initially was coming back. And she also had a three-set match in the U.S. Open against Alexandrova. But the last time we saw her play in Chicago, three sets again. So there's, there's something working, but there's also something telling me that this comeback isn't going to be fruitful. Does that make any sense? Yeah, um, I remember like when she came back and after the pandemic or we're still in the pandemic, but during the pandemic (laughs) with the world team tennis, she had a lot of hype because she was beating everyone. But we have to remember that those are like only like first to five games and people were like, oh, Clash is going to win the U.S. Open. Clash is going to win the U.S. Open. And who said that? You said what? (laughs) Who said that? <laughs> a lot of people on Twitter were saying it. Maybe like they were being a little bit sarcastic. But people <laughs> were conversations. But I remember she got injured and she couldn't play in Cincinnati. And I think that kind of injuries have derailed her comeback a bit. As you mentioned, she did have that match against Alexandrova. And I believe her match against Shea 
Suisha and Chicago was her first match of 2021. So mm-hmm. she has not played a whole lot of tennis since her comeback and she hasn't won a match since her comeback. So maybe if she does get a win under her belt, she'll get some confidence and begin to build more matches and, and make a meaningful comeback. But right now it's not looking all that great. And Sinyakova is really not a good opponent to play with either because she's not going to give you too much of a rhythm. Kim Clijsters is always going to have good ball striking ability. It seems like it's just baked into her makeup as a tennis player. It just does. But movement in and out of the corners was also something that made her such a, a, a really tough player to play against. And she doesn't really have that. So Sinyakova is very grooved. She's been having a really like low-key good season. So that's a tough matchup for Kim Clijsters. However, would not be totally mad if Kim Clashes gets through that to play Kerber. I also would be here for for watching that match. Just to, you know, it's kind of a throwback match or a throwback uh, uh, styling. Kerber and Clashes have played before a couple, a couple different times. So, you know, I wouldn't be mad if Kim Clashes gets another win on the tour and sets up a clash with Angelique Kerber. That wouldn't be, be too bad. But I do, I do want to see an eventual, let me scroll over to make sure this is right, a third round match between Kasakina and Angelique Kerber, they've played some really good matches in the past before, so I would love to see that. And Kasakina is another player. There's a there's a trend here. There's been multiple players that have had really good seasons and picked up multiple titles. Kasakina has been to something like five finals this season, picked up two titles. She's been a finalist at Indian Wells before. This, that's kind of how she made her mark in the tennis world. In 2018, she lost to Osaka, so... Hopefully those will bring back some good memories. And how do you think if Kerber and Kaskina do end up playing, how do you think that's going to shake out? Um, I think I definitely agree with, with you and feel like she's Kaskina has definitely had a resurgence because after 2019, um, she kind of struggled a bit. And definitely in 2020, she actually um, lost her sponsorship with Nike. And I feel like this has definitely been a resurgent year for her. Um, I didn't honestly, I didn't think about her that much when I was looking at the draw because <laughs> well, you, you did say that she made five finals this year, but she hasn't done all of that much in the big tournaments as I've been looking for her to do. So, um, it would be interesting to see how that matchup works between her and Kerber, but I do think that Kerber will be a little bit too steady. And I don't know. I want Kaskina to find her vibes again. I like her. Yeah, I, I, I like her. I liked her when she was in the top 10. I just, I, in general, I like the way she constructs her points and right. just goes about her tennis. It's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's easy to get behind. I don't know if it's the ponytail or the Technofiber racket or something, but I just, I find it easy to kind of root for her. And to close out the top section of the draw, we have 26 seed Tamara Zidanchik, who we mentioned earlier, got to the semifinals of the French Open and just beat the crap out of Sloane Stevens in Chicago. <laughs> The only reason I bring that up is because I was I, I switched to Tennis Channel to watch that match. And I was like, okay, come on, Sloan. Let's see what you got. And Sloan didn't have much of anything that day. Oh, deep side. But Sloan isn't a draw. We'll get to Sloan. Um, where was I? Oh, yeah. Mark Muguruza is the potential seed that Zidane could play in the third round. Muguruza is coming off the title in Chicago. I don't know where to put Muguruza, but I do hope she has a good tournament. She has a decent enough draw to have one. So let's go through the bottom half of the draw. And let's start at the bottom with number two seed, Iga Swiatek, one of my favorite young guns, French Open champion in 2020. I don't know if she's ever played this event and gone very deep. So it's interesting to see her name as like number two seed. 
not to memory that do I remember her like at least a four a fourth round or quarterfinal or anything like that, but she's there. She faces the winner of a wild card from America, Katie Volinets and Croatian Petra Martic, both potential opponents that she should have little to no problems with, I would imagine, unless she's facing some kind of pressure or not feeling her own game. But just on paper, that's a good matchup for her. And then the highest seed next to her is Veronica Kudamatova, who's had waves of being um, successful this season. She's played really good in doubles. I'm not really sure where her confidence level her confidence levels lie, but as far as the draw goes and top eight seeds, if I'm looking at it on paper, hope I didn't jinx her by saying this or, or about to jinx her by saying this. Swiatek has a good draw to do some damage. She, there are people lurking close to her, but it's like like Ostapenko, for example. That could potentially be a fourth round or quarterfinal, I, I, I believe, or it could be Elena Rabakina, but something tells me that Swiatek could handle both of them. Not necessarily easily, but I feel like her base game against their base game would be interesting matchups that I would still see Swiatek winning, you know? Because I really like Rabakina. I love her serve. I love how big she hits the ball. She's another one of my favorites that I kind of want to see pushing towards the top, you know? Yeah. Um, I definitely think that I've been picking her a lot to do, to go deep. I've been having her as my dangerous floaters. I think for the US Open, I had her there. Um, she definitely has the game to do so. Her and Svantec actually played in Ostrava a few weeks ago, I believe. And Svantec mm-hmm. took that one in straights, but the first set did go to a tiebreaker. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that matchup works if they do play. And then also if Svantec and Ostapenko play, that'll be interesting as well. Interested in what a Rabakana versus Swiatek rivalry would look like. It would. I would love that. I would love that. So let's move on further up into the draw since we're, we're moving up instead of down this time. <laughs> let's look at number nine seed, former Indian Wells semifinalist. I like Pavlyuchenkova's game. She's finally making her top 10 debut after um, Indian Wells is done, but she is a number nine seed here. She does have a tricky second round opening against the potential um, matchup or a a guaranteed first-round matchup, I should say, between Kaya Kanepi and Madison Keys. There should be little to no felt left on the ball after they're done playing, especially if it goes three sets. I don't know where to place my feelings with Madison Keys either. How, how about you? Yeah, I don't know. I really don't know. <laughs> I don't because she doesn't have momentum at all. She has had a, like a rough year in terms of draws because I know she drew – Kvitova early in, in Cincinnati when she was the 2019 champ. And then at the US Open, she, of course, played Sloan, where that match went to a third set tiebreak. Um, I know that I saw that you talked about it. She did have a shoulder issue in Chicago. So that's a question mark. I'm not sure if, if that's healed a whole lot. So I feel like she does have potential to do something, but I feel like she's got to get those wins and build up that confidence in order to do well. You know, I agree. And she definitely is a player that can either spark it really like she can spark it on out of nowhere, like she's done before in her career, or she can kind of just have incremental success. And I'm not sure where her footing is with either of those two uh, projected things. Mm -hmm. So I would not be surprised if she beats if she beats Kaya Kanepi also would not be surprised if Kaya Kanepi beats her. So that's 
where I am with that one. It's a good first round match, though. If I had tickets, I would definitely be kind of out there to see how hard they're hitting the ball. But you did mention Sloan Stevens, and just in the interest of time, I wanted to skirt, skirt our way up to Sloan Stevens, just only because the people that are ranked between Sloan and Madison or seated are kind of like, mm, except for the exclusion of of Layla Fernandez. I just want to talk really quickly because I feel like this session section can provide like the most opportunity because as we talk about open. That's why yeah. I, I openly wanted to screw past it. <laughs> <laughs> but no, go ahead, go ahead. We talked earlier on the show about how Benchich, um, she's a question mark because she did have that right leg injury or knee injury at Chicago. I feel like Shelby Rogers will advance past her should they play if Benchich is even up to playing. Um, and then there's Jill Teichman who reached the finals in Cincinnati. She could do something as well. Um, and then there's Layla and Fernandez. There's question marks of whether she can retain that form she had at New York. So I feel like this is one of the more open sections that we have here. It's open, very WTA-esque. And yeah. I would not be surprised if any of the players that you just mentioned are not in the quarterfinals. <laughs> and we see Arena Camelia Begu or something, or right. Fiona, Fiona Farrow or something. Just because I, all of those players right there could win and could also not win. It's just a quintessential open section right there, for sure. And if we go up a little further to where Jessica Pagula is in ninth seed, this is this is Petrovitova's section of the draw. Um, Pagula has been playing well to me, and would not be shocked if she plays well enough to go deep, like deep, deep into this tournament. For whatever reason, I'm feeling it. I'm not sure why I feel the way I feel about that one, but I feel like she's old a really, really big title. After being close in Montreal, after having some really big wins and beating Pliskova 17 times this season, <laughs> like she deserves a title. And I would not be mad if the American brings home the bacon in Indian Wells. I'm not calling her to be the champion, but I kind of want her to be. <laughs> yeah. She opens up, I mean, it's her and her draw is not terrible once she gets past a potential matchup with Sloan Stevens. But then again, Sloan could show up to that match or not show up because she plays Heather Watson in the first round. And we're not, we're not sure where Sloan Stevens' confidence is. Heather Watson is a winnable match, would you say? Yeah, I think it's winnable for Sloan. One thing about Sloan is that she does know how to show up for the bigger matches. So should she get by Watson and play Pegula, that could be, um, I guess, an upset on paper as Pegula is the higher-ranked player. But a lot of it, Sloan is just Sloan. You, you never know what we're going to get. I'm fingers crossed that I'm that I'm looking at that section of the draw and circling Pagula. Fing, fingers crossed. I mean, I'm, I'm gonna put I'm gonna put a prayer in there that one of my <laughs> predictions actually goes far. So we mentioned Mertens right above Mertens, the number eleven seed Simona Halep has a bye. Of course, she opens up her second round match between either Marta Kostuk or Shuai Zhang. I would love to see Marta Kostuk play Halep, so I'm kind of rooting for Kostuk to get through that first round match. The young up and comer is right above that Imaradu Kanu, which could set up a Raducanu versus Halep third round match, which again, if I was there, would love to see. Just because, I mean, it's kind of it's kind of hard to have missed Raducanu's amazing success, success at the U.S. Open and then miss all of the pomp and circumstance around it because she has been hyped. Now, there is 
pushback on whether or not like the hype is too much or people are comparing her to like really, really huge names. I don't know how you feel about that, but I am glad that she's in this draw. She got a wild card and her ranking is high enough to get her the number 17 seed. So it would be interesting to see how she matches up against somebody who is a stalwart or has been a stalwart in the top 10 or at the elite level of women's tennis like Halep to kind of see where her actual game is. And maybe Indian Wells courts might be a great setting for that. What do you think? Yeah, I think a Halep Raducanu um, third round would be really intriguing. Um, I'm not sure how that might play out because Halep, as we know, is very steady. Um, Raducanu is kind of steady, but I feel like her, the thing with her is her technique is so good and she has such confidence in her technique that it makes her, that's why she's able to, to beat so many players. Um, Halep is actually one of Raducanu's idols. So maybe that might play a role in, in the matchup. And then... Um, I didn't know that. Was I supposed to know that? She said that um, Halep and Lee Na were like her two biggest idols. Because of course, um, Raducanu, I believe her father is of Romanian descent. He's Romanian. And then... Um, Raducanu is also Chinese, as mm-hmm. is Na. So it makes sense. Yeah, I can see it. I just, I would love to see the matchup. If they meet each other in the third round, that should definitely be like a prime time, 7 p.m. type of match, in my mind. Uh, also, another one that could potentially be right after that, or, you know, maybe played on, well, no, probably is going to be played on the same day because on the same half of the draw. But number seven seed, Kvitova, versus number 27 seed, Azarenka, are slated to meet each other in the third round. And that's about as popcorny as popcorny can get. And I've, I've enjoyed their matchups before. They've played at the year-ending championships before, and that was a great match. I believe they played at Wimbledon a couple, like I say a couple. This was like 2011. <laughs> they they have a rivalry of sorts, but it just hasn't been ignited uh, in the more recent season. So I'd be interested to see how their games in 2021 would match up at Indian Wells for sure, especially with Azarenka, two-time champ. I would kind of give the edge to Azarenka if they do play because, as I said, that she is more comfortable playing in Indian Wells. And although she hasn't made a whole lot of noise recently, I feel like her game is slight, silently like rounding into form. She looked pretty solid in Chicago and at the U.S. Open. Okay, so we've gone through the women's draw, and I don't, I didn't write any picks down for like my quarterfinalists, but I think you did, right? I did. We're just going to go with yours and I'm just going to be, I'm going to sit here and be happy to hear yours because mine, I may agree or I may not. And I'll just tell you if I agree or not. So go ahead with your women's quarterfinals picks. I'm interested. I'm looking at them now. uh, (laughs) Nope, nope, nope. Don't change them. Don't be scared now. It's okay. It's okay. um, Quarterfinal (laughs) picks. I have Contabite against Daniel Collins. Okay. I have Coco Golf against Garbina Muguruza. I have Azarenka against Svitolina and then Teichman against Fontet. That's not bad. It's not I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's bad at all. I think the only one that I'm um, nervous about is Teichman. Mm-hmm. I do think Sviatek could get to the quarter, quarterfinals here. I do think Muguru could get to the quarterfinals here. Not sure about Azarenka-Svitolina. 
I'm, I would probably switch, like I was saying earlier, Svitolina for Pagula, maybe possibly. Right. And then if she's feeling well and still playing at a high level, maybe Raducanu for Azarenka, possibly. But everybody else, like that was that was not a bad list at all. Well, did you pick a, a champion or are you just gonna let it flow? So for my finalists, I had Svantec and Muguruza with Svantec taking the title. Hmm. Maybe I hope I really hope that they've done due diligence with that trophy. Cause you remember a couple of years the women couldn't even lift the trophy? Yeah. It's too have heavy. they have they lifted it? Like did did um Bianca lift it or she just take pictures with it? Oh, uh, she just took I think she kissed it on the side. <laughs> <laughs> Why do they make it so damn heavy? Like I mean that's oh. nice and all, but you no nobody can actually play with it or like, you know, pick it and hold it up. I don't know. Maybe they'll change that this year. Probably not. But I would not be mad at Sweetie picking up her third title of the year and her second match was 1000 or WTA 1000. Sorry. Sorry, WTA. Wait, hold on. I want to get your thoughts of okay. your who you think will go deep. I think Pagula is going to go deep. Like, I have a very good feeling about her enjoying the way the courts are set up at Indian Wells and enjoying her draw because her draw is very favorable. I also think that there's a possibility if it's not Swiatek in the quarterfinals are going deep, it could be Rabakana. I'm hesitant to not um, pick her because of the fact that she retired in Chicago, but the court speed and the fact that there's a little bit of altitude in Indian Wells should work well for her serve. She's tall. The ball bounces high in her strike zone. So I think Rabakana is a good um, pick. She's outside of the top 10. So that kind of makes her, you know, a little bit of a, a, a dark horse, just a little bit, not too dark, but a little bit of a dark horse. If I go down to, or if I go up to the top half of the women's draw, I think Annette Contavit is a good dark horse pick, given her level of play over the past couple of weeks, picking up Cleveland and Ostrava. I think Paula Badosa, all the Paula Badosa doesn't come in with a whole bunch of necessarily court confidence or wins on the court. I do think, again, a taller player, the court speed and the high bounces may suit her. She's in a tricky section of the draw, but if she can get past a potential meeting with Coco Golf. She should do well. And then I'm kind of looking at Daria Kasakina. I think something might happen with Kasakina kind of, there's something that happens when you get back to a place that you either had your first breakthrough or you've just done well at. And I think Kasakina might get a little bit of that good Indian Wells juju and end up going far. So I wouldn't be mad at any of those players. Just, you know, kind of working their way through the draw and come the final weekends, we're looking at them competing for the trophy. Yeah, I think those are good picks. And we could all be totally wrong and Magdala Net could be the champion. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> you really never know. <laughs> okay, so are you ready to talk about the men? Yes, let's talk okay. about the men. Let's start from the very top. Number one seed. We mentioned people that aren't here, but Medvedev, the U.S. Open champ, is here. He faces a potential second-round match between Mackenzie McDonald or James Duckworth. I think he'll be able to handle both of them fairly straightforwardly. He's, I don't have imagery in my mind of how Medvedev plays in Indian Wells, but it's a hard court. <laughs> and he seems to really, really enjoy those. So I don't see why Indian Wells would be too much different, especially if McDonald or Duckworth 
are going to be his opponents. I think that'll give him enough rhythm to kind of find his way into the tournament. And then the next seed he could face would be uh, Philippe Krajinovic, if not Marcos Giron, who could potentially be a third rounder. And Marcos Giron has been playing some really, really good tennis lately. He made the semis in Sofia. So that could be interesting. But I do believe Medvedev has played Garon before, maybe possibly. I'm not 100 percent sure about that. Maybe it's maybe it's all maybe it's all in my head. (laughs) (laughs) But I would like to see that potential matchup if it's not against a Medvedev and Krajinovic. What about you? I would. I would like to see. I think Giron has a better shot at facing Medvedev than Krajinovic. Um, Both are semifinalists in Sofia, but I think that Giron has been playing the better tennis, like back to back in terms of we're looking at. Aside from Sofia, he's had solid results coming into this tournament. So I would like to see that match. I wouldn't be mad at it. Another match I wouldn't be mad at watching are players that have some pretty good confidence coming in. Number 23 seed, Dimitrov, Grigor Dimitrov, and then number 16 seed, Riley Opelka. That could potentially be a third-round match. There are some floaters in between those matchups, like Sam Query, Philip Koschreiber. They could possibly do some damage, but I'm fairly confident that Dimitrov and Opelka are going to face each other. I'm interested to see how Dimitrov deals with the serve. I'm interested to see if Opelka can deal with like the athleticism and movement of Dimitrov. That should just be an interesting match. It'll probably be something on the outside court that people can kind of really get into. And if it goes deep, we'll see if people are rooting for Dimitrov because he's like the model boy or if they're rooting for Opelka because he's Team USA. <laughs> I think this is a decent a decent um, draw for Medvedev. Who doesn't have a decent draw is Denis Shapovalov, who kind of sort of needed one, especially after watching him perform in San Diego. He does not have his game together, nor did he have his game together at Labor Cup. And I like Shapovalov, but I was listening to another tennis podcast, and they kind of summed it up. He hasn't really done enough tweaking to his game he's still flashy he's still very powerful he can still hit all the shots but he hasn't packaged it up enough to be a consistent threat he's going to have his moments where all of the things that are good about his game kind of shine through and he's also going to have moments where it kind of just looks like are you sure that you're a top 10 player (laughs) it's going to look like that he comes in as number nine seed he potentially pay, he potentially faces uh, either Vasek Pospisil or wildcard JJ Wolf in the second round. Both could potentially be winnable match matchups for him, or he could struggle. I'm you really you really don't know. And I wish I didn't have that air by Shapovalov. But how do you feel about him currently? I feel the exact same way. I think since Wimbledon, he struggled. Something like has has been off um, in that semifinal match against Djokovic. All three of those sets he could have won. And I feel like that might have caused a lot of doubt in his mind. And I feel like it, it shifted something, like in a, in a bad way, of course. Um, he, as you mentioned, he lost early in San Diego, having a pretty dismal performance against Nori. At the US Open, he lost 4 4 4 against Lloyd Harris. So, we, like with Sloan, we really don't know like what we're going to get with Shapovalov. Um, maybe, I think he did. Pretty decent at Indian Wells in 2019, so maybe um, he'll be able to recapture some of that magic. 
similarly to Shapovalov, Aslan Karatsev has has kind of been struggling a bit this season. Um, ever since his big breakthrough in Australia, um, he he did play. I think he reached the quarters in San Diego, losing to Dimitrov, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken. Yep. Um, but he also did pretty solid in New York. He very nearly beat Jensen Brooksby. Mm-hmm. And if Shapovalov and Karatsev do meet in the third round, which I think they will, it'll be interesting to see. I do give the edge to Shapovalov because he's lefty, and I feel like that defining factor could potentially help him. But I don't know. It's hard to put my feelings with both of them because I like the way Karatsev plays, but like you said, I think it's been he kind of woke up a little bit. Like he was not used to playing consistently ATP 250 level and above, and all of a sudden this season, boom, every single tournament he wants to get into, he pretty much can based off of the first couple of months of the season and his, his semifinal run in Australia and winning Dubai. That just exploded his ranking and pushed it all the way up. Right. It's just, I think he's just getting settled, but he's not completely there yet. So he's winning a match, losing a match, winning two matches, losing a match. So it's it's kind of been up and down for him since he beat Djokovic uh, pre-French Open, honestly. That's yeah. kind of where that's kind of where the demarcation of like great results meets, you know, middle of the road results with Karatsev. Yeah. But both of them could face, I mean, they could go on to face shut in third round or neither of them could make it, honestly. <laughs> we just we just don't know with, with either of them because they strike the ball so big and with that altitude and playing in the in the in the mountains of Indian Wells, it can work against you just as much as it could work for you. So we shall see. Another pretty sweet striker of the ball, number 32 seed, um, American favorite, American upcomer, Sebastian Corda, is right in this section. Um, he could potentially face either Francis, Francis Tiafo or Benoit Pair. That's a good first-round matchup just for entertainment value, you know? Right. Um, how do you feel about Sebastian Corda's game? Um, I feel like he has the hype among America. I feel like people have been touting him as like USA's next big hope because he does have more of a complete package in terms of, you know, he has a good back end and <laughs> he has <laughs> and he's not afraid of coming to the net. And um he's very good from the ground. He's very consistent from the ground, I believe. Um he he hasn't made as much noise since Wimbledon, where he lost to Hashinoff. Mm-hmm. Um, I know he lost to Brooksby and um, DC. And at the US Open, he had food poisoning, so that affected him a lot. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how he recovers from that. I know he played San Diego, he won one match and then lost the next one. But it's interesting because, contrastly, Tiafo has had very solid results lately. He's coming off his arguably his best well, the Australian Open in twenty nineteen was good for him too, but he had a really solid showing at this year. She was open beating Rublev and Root to the round of sixteen. So he has a lot of confidence and I believe um I give him the edge because of that. So he's gonna be know, feeding really. off the, the uh crowd, I think. Right. And match against in that match against uh excuse me, the match against Ben, ben, why can I not say his name? The match <laughs> against Benoit Pair, he's going to be feeding off the energy. And if he gets to play Sebastian Corda, I mean the 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 crowd support should be 
tied, or maybe it might be a little bit in Francis Tiafo if they want to see an upset just based on paper. But I would like to see that matchup because it's kind of the matchup of the guy who's been getting all of the the the, the clout and the like the, the next American hope between the guy that is an American hope in his own right, but it's kind of just been forgotten about, but it's kind of trucking along in Francis Tiafo. So I would like to see that matchup right underneath those Americans is the Wimbledon semifinalist and Miami Open champ of this year, Hubie Herkosh of Poland, the number eight seed. There are some matchups that n- not necessarily worry me, but he does get the winner of Alexi Poprin and Mimor Kesmanovic in the second round. Those th- those two players aren't necessarily scrubs in their own rights. They can they can hit the ball and hang with the best of them on their good days. But I do think Hubie Herkash can get his way through this draw with some confidence because he just won a tournament in France and Mets. If he does go deep and beats Corda, I think he could go even deeper. And like, like we've been saying, the ball, the bouncy balls, the way he slides and moves on the court, his good serve and utilizing it. If he can win Miami, I think he can go pretty deep in Indian Wells as well. I think so too. Um, Right underneath him, this is a different section still in the top half of the draw. This is Andre Rublev's quarter of the draw, the number four seed. He faces the second round between Carlos Tabernier and Juan Munar. My ATP brain is not working with either of those two players. Don't know who they are. <laughs> so if Rublev loses to either one of them, I'm going to be quite confused. However, Rublev did not look very comfortable with his tennis at all in his semifinal loss against Cam Norrie. And if he's feeling any effects of that, hopefully he's not. Hopefully he's, he can just put it towards a back a bad day or a bad day at the office because the courts in Indian Wells are kind of set up for him to do nicely as well. Like, right. we, we, he doesn't have a whole bunch of nuance and, like, questions behind his game. We know we're going to get. We're going to get a huge ball basher. And ball bashers have done well in Indian Wells. <laughs> So he should do well, too. What do you think? I think so, too. Um, I think his – I just feel like he should win. I mean, I, I think for the most part he wins the matches that he should win. Mm-hmm. Um, Nori wasn't necessarily an upset because Cam has been playing well all this season. I think his draw definitely – he actually could play Nori in the fourth round here, so that could be a, an interesting rematch. Um, so I think – He'll definitely reach the third round, Munar, and I don't know who Taberner is, but Munar is a <laughs> specialist. Um, and he um, at least you know who Munar is. I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you did mention Cam Nori, number 21 seed, definitely playing the best tennis of his career, reaching five finals just recently, the fifth one at San Diego. He kind of got swept aside in that final, but I do think Cam Nori could make some noise in this draw. He faces the winner of Tiago Montiero and Tennis Sangren. Go Montiero. That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> For obvious reasons. <laughs> um, so the bottom, the bottom half of the first half of the draw, the, the bottom half of the top half of the draw, I should say, is led by Casper Rude, who won in San Diego. And how do you, what, where do you feel about like Casper Ruth's game? Is do you think he's he's priming himself for a good run of the Masters one thousand on hard courts because he has done well at Madrid, which mm-hmm. was in altitude, high bouncing balls, but also on clay. He opens up against either a qualifier or a Roberto Carabias Barina, 
I got to work on my Spanish pronunciation of the men's names and just knowing who they are in general. <laughs> but how do you feel about Casper Ruiz's game? I enjoy his game. I enjoy his game too. And definitely watching his performance against Kim Nori, I was really impressed by how just easily he, he dominated that final. And it was really promising because a lot of people have been saying that he's just a one-trick pony. He won four of his previous titles on clay. And your favorite play, Curios, was often, talk, often talked about um, Rude and bashed him. But I feel like he's taking those criticisms. And, uh, uh, can y'all hear me laughing? <laughs> <laughs> we love it's, so, it's so funny how people know who I like really a lot and who wow. I don't like. <laughs> but jokes aside um i feel like definitely he he is priming himself for a big run on the hard courts in these bigger hard court tournaments but i feel like a lot of it depends on who he plays um he is looking at facing lord harris in the third round who has had a solid showing this year on hard courts reaching the final in dubai and then doing well in dc and the u.s open so that'll be an interesting matchup but besides that, I feel like this is a good section for him. The seed Schwartzman. Um, Schwartzman has been struggling all season. Evans, he's a solid player, but um, I'd rather go with Nisha Corey, who's unseated and will likely play Evans in the, the second round. He's another guy to look at in this section. But still, I feel like Casparuda is the favorite coming in here with the confidence from San Diego. So ready to get to the bottom half? Close yeah. this thing on out? Okay. Let's start with number two seed, Stefano Sissipas, who luckily has not tested positive for COVID amidst him being vocal about the vaccine <laughs> or not wanting to take it. But he, you, you said before we recorded that he, you're not sure. Oh, maybe, maybe you said this in the recording. I'm not sure. <laughs> that he is changing his mind about getting the vaccine. Yeah. He said he, he changed his outlook on it. And I think he is talking about getting the vaccine. So that's good. Yeah, good for Sissy Pass. I don't mind Sissy Pass. Sometimes his foot can go directly in his mouth, um, like his favorite Djokovic, but it's okay. Like his game makes up for it, and I like the way he competes. So Sissy Pass is not on my uh, shit list at all. Not yet, at least. Um, <laughs> the closest, the closest seed next to him is number twenty-five, Fabio Fognini. Who knows what you're going to get with Fabio Fognini oh, at this point? I think he's um, on the down end of his career and just kind of out there for the fun of it because he can. He knows he can electrify a crowd um, here and there. So you know, go Fognini. I guess <laughs> above Fognini is number twenty-second seed. Uh, Alex Diminar, who's had an up-and-down season. He's lifted some titles, but hasn't done well in the biggest events. He has a pretty favorable draw, though, I will say, if he wants to make some noise and kind of end the season on a high note. He's uh, up next to Christian Garin. That could be a potential third-round match. Christian Garin, another player, has not had a stellar season by most people's um, standards. So Diminar, I'm kind of interested to see what a Diminar Sitsipas matchup would look like in the fourth round. So I think that's fourth round. Yeah, it would be fourth, fourth round. round. Yeah, I'm interested to see what that would look like. Just a next gen battle, you know. So that'll be kind of interesting. Not too much interesting on this side of the draw, really. Uh, Carino Busta's in a number 12 seed. 
there is a Finnish player who I like. I don't know if you if you uh, share the same sentiments. I like Emil Lucivori. I, I don't know why. I, he has a tough open around against Dominic Kupfer, but Dominic Kupfer has not been playing well lately. So I think Lucivori should be able to handle that. And then Lucivori or Kupfer could face Hatchinoff, the 24th seed. Hatchinoff is a silver medalist at the Olympic Games, but Hatchinoff is also a player that kind of goes up and down, up and down. You're not, I'm not sure. So maybe we should circle Emil Rusevori there as a potential, potential underdog. You know, possibly. possibly. I mean, that's a little open section. You know, he could he could hang with the guys in that section. I think. You think so? I think so. I definitely think that at least no. This whole section is open. Mm-hmm. Really the top with Ozier Aliassim. He's he's been more consistent, but another player that you kind of don't know. Oh Felix. <laughs> he's been better. He's been better. We can give him credit with that. He yeah. Did, uh, like a quarterfinal Wimbledon semifinal of the US Open. Yeah. Happy for him. I just I just sometimes I watch him and my stomach is in knots because I'm like, I don't know what's <laughs> going to happen. I don't know if the forehand is gonna go in or if he's gonna completely shank it. <laughs> I just I just don't know. I just don't know. Yeah, you don't know with him. But I think it's I mean it's a it's a draw for him. I mean, Baslash really, um, He's a good player, solid player, but he's inconsistent himself. Mm-hmm. Um, Hatchinoff and Crane Booster are very beautiful for Ojiali Asim. So I think that if Felix does bring his game um, and has his forehand with him throughout this tournament, I think <laughs> that he can, he can come through. So hopefully Felix can have another good run to the Masters 1000 because he's just knocking on the door steadily, but steadily, but surely he's knocking on the door and I want to see him just do well, you know? So, right. um... Do you want to talk about Zverev? you want to take the charge on that? <laughs> um, yes. Um, well, Zverev section is... Anyways. Zverev section... <laughs> um, is, his little mini section is very interesting because he is projected to play Jensen Brooksby, who, um, as we know, if he was open, frustrated Novak Djokovic for a good set and a half before Novak eventually wore him down in four. Um, it'll be interesting to see whether Brooksby can give, give through to this very game because, um, Alex has been playing really well lately. Um, his serve has been on, he hasn't had the double fault hitch. Um, so I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how his game translates to Indian Wells. But aside from that, um, up top of that mini section, there's 38 seed Carlos Alcaraz, who had his big breakthrough at New York, beating CeCe Paz. He'll likely get Andy Murray, which is a popcorn second round match there. Um, I don't know. I feel like it is a winnable match for Murray, but I think that the game style would play more in Akras's favor, who has the potential to kind of bully Andy around the court. But I don't know. We'll see. What are your thoughts about that? Go Jensen Brooksby. <laughs> like, I'm looking at this section. I mean, go Jensen Brooksby. Go Andy Murray. Andy Murray has won Indian Wells before. He's just so dependent on the draw because he's he hasn't gotten seeded anywhere. So, he, and he got a wild card into this tournament. So, I think uh, Adrian Mandarino first round is a good matchup for him. He knows Mandarino's game pretty well. It's just Alcaraz has a lot of firepower. And, but 
But Alcaraz also retired from his most recent match against Felix in the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open. So, and he hasn't played much since. That's been a couple of weeks of layoff since then. So maybe he doesn't have his timing and maybe Andy Murray, well, not maybe, Andy Murray is going to be a player that can take advantage of that if he's not on his game, you know? So maybe Andy Murray makes through that section and Jensen Brooksby upsets Zverev and Andy Murray makes a deep run. Maybe. In my mind. Maybe. In my mind. <laughs> That's what I would like to see. I, I think <laughs> I really do believe Andy Murray deserves to, even if he doesn't like, you know, end in the top 20, I think there needs to be some kind of moment where we remember Andy Murray doing something positive and it, it could be at Indian Wells, you know? You never know. Okay, let's see. There's number 17 seed Lorenzo Sonego in this section as well. Also number 14 seed Gael Mofi. That could be a very interesting, fun Interesting and fun third-round match. Kevin Anderson lurks between them, as does Martin Fuksovic. But I kind of would like to see a Mofi and Sanego matchup in the third round. That seems like it'd be very fun and just highlight reel central. Both of them are pretty good at getting or finding their way onto a highlight reel on ATP Tennis TV. <laughs> I think they played they played this year in, in Rome, and I know they had a – it was a tough match. I, I believe it was this year. I know they played in Rome recently, but – they had a tough match. It was this year, I remember. It was this year, and they had a, a, a three-set battle, which Monfils really should have won, but it was a good match. How many times have we said that, unfortunately? <laughs> it's okay. Gael is still great for the sport, and you can't help but kind of smile while you watch him, you know? So Yeah. Another player that doesn't give us too many smiles on the court but is playing good tennis, number 10 seed Yannick Sinner. I think this is the highest seed he's ever had at uh, ATP 1000. So he's definitely just, again, we've, I've said this before about other players, incremental success. He just won the ATP 250 tournament in Sofia. So he's doing things well at such a young age. He's not even 21 yet. And he faces the potential. This could be tricky. He faces the winner of Jack Sock and John Millman in the second round. Mm-hmm. So that could be tricky, but I think center is too cool and too even keel for kind of both of those players, especially if it gets Jack Sock. We know Jack Sock's level can be super high. I'm not the biggest Jack Sock fan. Sorry out there. But I do I do acknowledge that his level of tennis can be pretty high. And I could see how it could cause trouble for Center. I just think Center is playing too confidently right now and will probably be able to weather the storm if he does meet Jack Sock. There is a possibility of him playing John Isner in the third round. Those two played in Cincinnati yeah, Cincinnati, where Isner came out on top there. Um, so that definitely could be a popcorn match should they meet. Um, I'm not sure. Isner would definitely have the crowd support. So, Willie, should he? <laughs> I mean, it is, it is. It is. Yeah, it is what it is. I mean, okay. I mean, but there is an American above Isner I wouldn't mind supporting a little bit more. Taylor Fritz, number 34, the 31st seed. And another American above him that could, he could potentially play in the second round, Brandon Nakashima. I really, really enjoy Brandon Nakashima's game. Yeah. It's unfortunate that he's so close to Matteo Berrettini. But, you know, I mean, Nakashima be- seems like he's only one or two big wins away from believing that he can really hang with the big guys. Like, he doesn't seem that he's, he doesn't feel like he's so far off away from this next gen to where he can't get up there himself, if that makes any sense. Right. I think he's, I think he he can do it. It's just about the belief because the game 
his game is solid. He doesn't have anything that's like super, super flashy, but he's not weak in any other portion of his game either. So it's just a matter of getting experience and belief that he can be at the upper echelon of the sport. And then to close out the top of the bottom half is Matteo Berrettini, the Wimbledon finalist who's been playing good tennis. For some reason, I keep forgetting that he's been to the quarterfinals or better at three of the four Grand Slams this year. That's a stat that's kind of been not on my radar. He made the quarters at the French, losing to Djokovic, finals of uh, Wimbledon, losing to Djokovic, and the quarters of the U.S. Open again, losing to Djokovic. So if you take Djokovic out of the equation this year, you never know what you might have with Matteo Berrettini. And Djokovic not, uh-huh. is not in the equation at Indian yeah. Wells. So, hey, you never know. Right. I think Matteo Berrettini, he gets often overlooked in terms of who can or whether he can do damage. As you mentioned, he's had very, like, I guess, tough draws towards the end. Like, he's been who he's had to be because he has the game to do so. But going up against the greatest player um, in the world, Djokovic, is always going to be a tough – I said in the world. That's <laughs> – I didn't say I'm not trying to get into that, but going <laughs> up against the world number one, Djokovic, um, is always going to be a tough out. So with him not being in the draw and this being a like a good opportunity for him to go deep, this could this could definitely be one of those big tournaments. I wouldn't be surprised if he did go deep here. I mean, Fritz being the number one seed or the, not the number one seed, yikes, the first seed that he could face in the tournament is not a bad look at all. I mean, centers right there would love to see a center versus Berrettini matchup. I'm pretty sure they're familiar with each other's games. Both Italian, I'm pretty sure they've practiced together before. And I think the reason why Berrettini is like on that second tier of like the next gen to like win a Grand Slam is even though he's been to a Grand Slam final is because his game is rather predictable. You know what you're going to get. You know you're going to get really crisp, big bomb serves and a big, heavy forehand and a backhand that's attackable. And that recipe of like a tennis player is very, it's not new at all. So I think that's why he kind of gets put in the lower part of the deck of cards when it comes to tennis players. But his results are definitely there. And like I said, no Djokovic in his way. A, a favorable draw, especially if he gets Fritz and then gets Isner or center, you know, I like his chances. So who do you have as your quarterfinals on the men's side? So for my quarterfinalists, I have Medvedev against Herkoc, Rublev and Rude. Um, I, I don't know. I'm kind of teetering between center and Berrettini going up against Farov. And then lastly, Ojeda Yassim against Tsitsipas. Okay. Okay. I'm not I'm not mad about the OG Aliasim and Sissy Paz. I like their rivalry. I want Felix to kind of make it a little bit more competitive. I like that one. Maybe because of the recent investigation that they're starting, I'm going to go out on a limb here and just challenge your Alexander Zverev with the Andy Murray. Hmm. And just and just see what happens. That's very <laughs> I think, I think it, it is, but I think Andy Murray has been knocking on the door and I would not mind seeing him. Like the big three are gone. Why not let Andy Murray get a little bit of shine? I, I wouldn't, I would mind seeing it. He can do it. And he's played Zverev tough. So if he does meet Zverev, he's played him tough. He knows his game. I think the match against Alcaraz does pose a trouble. But like I said, Alcaraz has not played since the U.S. Open with that injury. So he may be a little undercooked. So if Andy Murray right. wants to take advantage of a, a draw, Here's a shot. 
and a max was 1,000. So not too mad at that. And did you pick, you were, you said you were between center and Berrettini. Those are good choices. Yeah, I, I was, yeah, I'm thinking, I wrote down center, but I don't know. I'm thinking as we've like done this show, I'm thinking I might change it to Berrettini against Vero. I bigged him up a little bit, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> that kind of, kind of came. We'll see. I mean, center is definitely a good player, but he seems so poised, but sometimes just me personally, I don't know about you. I like a player that can give me a good old roar sometimes. And Berrettini is more of that player than center is. I think center is getting there, but his, his default is very like kind of cool, calm and collected. And Berrettini, we've seen him kind of fight and, you know, get excited out there. And I mm-hmm. think the crowd is going to be able to get behind that much easier than center if they do meet. So, I mean, and, and Isner's there. Isner could cause some problems, but we're not, we're not going to, we're not going to hope that he does. <laughs> that was a good point, though, about the crowd. Mm-hmm. I think the crowd's going to be just as the U.S. Open. The crowd of the U.S. Open played a huge part. I think they're going to play a huge part of Indian Wells, especially the fact that the people that go to that tournament like religiously have not seen it in over two years. So they're really going to be antsy and amping up all the good points and the good, just the good vibes and stuff. I think it's going to be a good tournament to, to watch on both sides, men and women. Did you did you call a finalist on the men's side? Yeah, so first with the semifinalists, I did Kirkach and Rublev, and then center slash Veratini against Tsitsipas. And then regardless, I, in the finals, I had Kirkach and Tsitsipas there with Tsitsipas taking the title. Um, I know it's going to be like notable that I didn't put Medvedev in there. I don't know. I just feel like he definitely has that mindset, that like champion's mentality to compete mm-hmm. that form. But for some reason, like I had a feeling about Barty at the US Open, although I picked Barty to win the US Open, I just felt like she something she wouldn't do it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure of whether the Indian Wells, like whether the conditions there will aid to to Medvedev, although like it is a hard court, he loves hard court. So he's guaranteed to at least do decent here. But I feel like it's important to note that Hercox has challenged him a lot probably the most um recently even the last match they played of course he beat him at Wimbledon in the quarterfinals although the rain and stuff has a little bit to do with it but in Toronto Medvedev um beat Hercox in one of those in that match and it went really deep Hercox won the first set and then after the match Medvedev said hey you really should have won the match and it went on to win the title so I think that could be a very interesting matchup in the quarterfinals should they play. Did You said Felix was getting to the quarters, right? Right. Let's push him to the semis. <laughs> Let's, I, I just really imagine if Felix's first title is at a Masters 1000 in Indian Wells. Say say something happens at the on the top half where we get like a Andre Rublev in a final. Mm-hmm. versus Felix. For some reason, I think Felix would handle that better than Andre, even though Andre's been to three Masters 1000, or two Masters 1000 finals this year alone. He got to the final of Monte Carlo and Cincinnati, and he got to the semis in Miami. It just seems that Rude, not Rude, yikes, Rublev has a ceiling. Both players have a ceiling, but I think Felix's is higher. And I'm just, I'm just, I'm just trying to be on the Felix Aji Aliassim train. 
I like being on the train. That's all. I mean, I'm not, I'm not picking him to win the title with full conviction, but it would be nice to see. For sure. I could, definitely, I could see it happen. I've been like waiting for him to do something for a long time, but the only issue is I think lately Cesar Paz has had his number and it's been difficult mm. for Felix to get by him. Maybe with maybe Uncle Tony can can cook up something. I was just about to say Uncle Tony should know how to switch the code on somebody after a while. Yeah. He's done it with Rafa. <laughs> right. I mean, there's no reason why he can't do it with Cece Paz, but I, I wouldn't be mad at all. I feel like it, it's definitely a possibility for Ojale to go deep here. We'll see. I think it's going to be a fun tournament to watch over the next week and a half. It's unfortunate that it's weird. Like, it just starts on a random Wednesday. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, we're recording this on a Tuesday, and they just put the draws out. So mm-hmm. I have to do some heavy editing <laughs> and get this out. <laughs> but it should be fun. And this was a, this was a fun, like preview and draw breakdown i definitely had a lot of fun doing this with you you have to come back on the show because it's nice knowing that i can talk to somebody that knows what they're talking about (laughs) (laughs) not that my other guests haven't but you know i'm getting better and better at this stuff you know at least in my mind (laughs) right no i feel the exact same way it's just someone actually like like you said who actually knows what they're talking about it's refreshing so i i thoroughly enjoy being here and thank you for allowing me to come on and your content is as refreshing as this conversation. So make sure that you tell the listeners where they can find you on your socials and your channels and handles and stuff like that. Cause I want them to check you out. Um, yes. Yeah, so I'm mostly on YouTube is where I post like most of my tennis content, G S space, tennis space, news space today. And then um, I post on Instagram when I feel like it at G S tennis news today. And then I'm really mostly on Twitter. I don't tweet necessarily as much. Actually, I, I do tweet, but um, I'll be seeing you. Yeah, too. I, I, do, I love Twitter. <laughs> it's always funny, most of the time. Most of the time. But <laughs> yeah, you can follow me on Insta- on Twitter at g s t n t. No, g s t n today on Twitter. And all of the information will be in the podcast description, kind of like when you say all the information will be in the uh, description bar below. Yes. I have a podcast description. You have a description bar below. We all got description bars. <laughs> Is there anything that you wanted to say or plug or let the listeners know before we sign off? Um, stay tuned to my previews, I guess, because I'm going to include um, Miles's thoughts on both the men's and women's draw. So watch that. I don't even know when I'm going to post that. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know when I'm going to post it. When am I going to have to Indian Wells has royally screwed us with the, yes. the timing of this draw and us trying to actually dissect it. But we're going to do it. We're going to do it. It's going to come up and people are going to enjoy the content. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> In five, four, three, two, one. What an amazing show today, guys. What an amazing collab. Thank you again, Christian, for coming on to the show and sharing your wisdom and your passion for tennis. If you enjoyed what you heard in today's episode, please do check us out on all social networks at Missing Point Pod. Subscribe to the podcast so you get notified of new episodes. Review the show on Apple Podcasts. That really does help us grow. Subscribe on Spotify if that's where you listen. Click on the podcast description for more information about today's guest and on how you 
can support the podcast. Also, don't forget to send us your questions and feedback at missingpointpod at gmail.com. Until next time, until the wrap up episode of Indian Wells with a new guest that I'm excited to share with you guys. I already have that in the works. Again, until next time, have a good week. Take care of yourself, guys, and I will talk to you soon. Bye-bye.